All right. Well, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, continuing our study. And you'll notice a little bit different this morning. We'll only be in six verses. They just, they're so vital for today, where we're at and in our lives. So we wanted to spend a little bit more time. If you remember in the last couple of weeks, the last two chapters or two services we've been together, we talked about offerings and tithes, how the fellowship, how a church corporately is supposed to give, and then also how we uh, personally are to be purposeful in in how we give, we're giving back to the Lord and being used by Him. The weeks before that, though, we've been identifying the so-called super or hyper apostles that had come in behind Paul, and we're saying that Paul was not a real great apostle. He was a good start. Remember, they are the Judaizers, and they are those that are professional public speakers, always looking at the outward appearance. We talked about their letters that they had of commendation and those different things. And we saw that Paul was being criticized by the Corinthians. And now as we jump into chapter 10, he's going to transition in the subject because he's telling them he is coming to Corinth to pick up this offering that's going to be sent to Israel, to Jerusalem, to those that are suffering. And in doing so, he's coming in chapter 10 and saying, hey, but I'm going to have to speak to a couple of you about a a couple of different things. And he's going to emphasize the spiritual over the physical. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, and we pray that you would continue to teach us and direct us. Just as you used Paul to speak to the Corinthians where they're at, we pray that you would Use your word and speak to us where we're at, and that you would help us to accomplish great and mighty things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together, chapter 10. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you, verse 2, but I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as we walked according to the flesh. He's building this contrast. First, he's saying he does all things in Christ. We do all things as believers in Christ. And he says, according to his meekness and gentleness. This is important because when we hear these words, we think weakness. We think that he's inferior or not strong when we hear meekness and gentleness. No, this is strength under control. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. In Colossians, it says, all things were created through him and all things exist by him, exist and consist. So he's all powerful. And yet it says here that in the meekness and gentleness of Christ, he's he's contrasting those uh, Judaizers, super apostles who are all about the flesh and the outward appearance and the things that you can see. And Paul's going to shift to the spiritual, the things that can't be seen. And he's using Jesus as our example. He's always going to be our example. And then notice how he says he's going to confront them. He's going to confront them. He doesn't want to, though, but it's going to become necessary. We're going to see later on in this chapter that they were saying, oh, yeah, Paul, he's so tough when he hides behind his letters and he's a long way away. But when he comes, he's not so strong. Well, Paul's, his strength comes from the Lord. And in him. 
No, he's pointing out that we don't do things in the flesh, we do them in the spirit, and, and we have to define a few things as we go through this section of scripture. Number one is that we are, as believers in Christ, we're body, soul, and spirit. Every human being has a body, the flesh, what they're made out of, we, we walk in the flesh, and they have a soul that's been given to them by God. The Lord breathed into the dirt and Adam came up out of the dirt. But not everyone has the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Only the believer, those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord, are filled with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is written in Ephesians, in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, the emphasis is on the Word of God, but the definition is there for us to look at. In Ephesians, that's the second time. Let's try it in English. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. We're going to come back to that in a second. And of the joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the emphasis here is on the word of God, but we see a definition. That the soul and the spirit, they're so tight, they're so intermingled, that it's only the Lord that can discern between the two. That's going to be important when we talk about the spiritual war. And then you see the joints and the marrow. That's our flesh that we walk around in every day, but that the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's important, and Paul's making the distinction that we don't do things in the flesh, we do them in the Spirit. Now, there may be an atheist here or an agnostic or a humanist or a critic who would say, well, spiritual things are just made up. They don't exist. They're not real. You you guys are just making these fairy tales up as the boogeyman. that's That's not true. We We go through this world in the joints and the marrow, in the flesh, and we see things in the flesh. And so those critics say, well, all that stuff, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. Well, that's not true either. You don't have the ability to look at ultraviolet light or infrared. You need another tool to show you that those things are, are there, that they're real. But you can't hear a dog whistle. And you may see somebody blowing on the dog whistle and be like, this is made up, this is make-believe, that guy's going crazy, until you see the dog who's just yelping, going crazy. You see, the spiritual things can only be discerned spiritually, and you have to have the right tools and equipment, and our flesh, our bodies, do not have the ability to see those things any more than we can see ultraviolet, infrared, or hear sound waves that are outside of the spectrum. We don't have the tools, but they are real. Scripture and history has been telling us that for millennia. And so we're going to transition now to what Paul's pointing out and why he's pointing these things out in verses 3 and 4. And I'm going to warn you, we're going to be in verse 3 and 4 for a little bit of time. Verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Stop right there for a moment. Let's dissect what's being said here. For though we walk in the flesh, yes, we literally walk around in the flesh, we live in a real flesh and blood world, there are things happening that we don't see or understand. And we do not war according to the flesh. That means that we are in a war. This is really important. And we're in a war with an enemy that we don't see or understand. And many Christians are engaged in this battle and they don't even know They're in a battle. We also see that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I wish they were. As a blue-collar guy, I just want to get a bigger hammer to fix things. 
I wish I could just go out there, knock it on the head, and drag it back to my cave. It's just not how it works in the spiritual. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not flesh and blood. They're spiritual. And so we need new tools to fight that war. And what else do we see? But mighty in God, these spiritual tools are mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds. That means there are strongholds. Where are their strongholds? What are they like? These spiritual strongholds are in the six inches between your ears. They're in your mind. And the battleground in which we fight this battle is in your mind. The enemy has strongholds there, but we have weapons that are mighty in God to tear down those strongholds. But when we think about tearing down a stronghold, you may think about, you know, maybe you've seen it in person, maybe you've seen it on television, where they have a big building and they set up all the explosives and then somebody just hits that button and it just comes down. And, and that may be how you think tearing down spiritual strongholds go. I'm just going to pray a prayer and it's going to disappear. And then when it doesn't happen, you're like, oh, this thing must not work. No, when we tear down strongholds, when you siege a stronghold, a castle, you need to think about the time frame in which this is written. I'll use an example. In 70 AD, Titus Vespasian's, Vespasian's army went through Israel fighting the rebellion against Rome. And in 70 AD, they encircled Jerusalem. And they had a siege to tear down that stronghold. They built a wall around the city with the stones that they found. So they built the army and circled the city of Jerusalem. They built these walls brick by brick, stone by stone, and they began to starve out the city. Then they built a ramp. They built a ramp up to the walls so that they could besiege it on multiple sides. Do you think that the people of Israel, the soldiers there were like, oh yeah, why don't you just go ahead and come on up to the to the walls here. No, they're doing darts. They're throwing rocks. Um, history tells us that they lit the thing on fire a couple times because they would put a tower. Rome would put a tower at the top of that ramp as they were coming up. They're doing everything they can to try and stop them while they're being st- starved out. And then eventually the Romans came through the walls and city, or block by block, street by street, house by house, they fought by hand. Now, if you're an Israelite soldier in 70 A.D., and you have multiple millennia of history, all based around this temple, are you just going to let the Romans come in? No, they fought tooth and nail until history tells us they fought their way all the way to the temple, and they were literally fighting at the doors of the temple. What do you think that fight was like? You think that was easy? Eventually, the Romans did overcome this heroic fight of the Israelites, and they Just as was predicted, every stone was taken and moved, just as the Lord had said. When we talk about tearing down the enemy's strongholds in our minds, I want you to think about that siege warfare. Oftentimes, you have to starve it out. Oftentimes, it takes a long time. It's arduous, and the enemy fights back. And the reason this is so important is because we have to understand that we have an enemy and that we're in a war and that all that chaos that's between your two ears... That's normal. Welcome to the fight. Let's talk about who and and how our enemy is. The Bible tells us that the enemy in 1 Peter 5, 8, to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Oh, you're just getting so spiritual. I mean, this this is just all make-believe stuff. 
wouldn't you think if you had an enemy, it would be better for them if they didn't know, if you didn't think he was real? Wouldn't you as an enemy want to do everything you could to conceal yourself? Um, let's talk about who the enemy is using 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Here's a photo of the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. They're not even in the hunt yet, but notice how they fit into the background. If you watch them, they sink down low. They're super quiet. And what are they trying to do? To sneak up on their enemy, and they're going after the weakest, the slowest, the sickest. They want to they run at the pride, let's say the antelope, and they want to split off the antelope to the antelope is isolated. And then they say, you go ahead and have a good, good start. I know you had a rough morning this morning. Why don't you get ahead a, a little ways and then we'll chase you down. No way. They sneak up as close as they can without being sent and it's seen. And then in the last moment, they pounce. And you may have heard this phrase. They go straight for the jugular. They latch on the neck. They want to either crush the spine or rip open the neck so they bleed to death. And then they will eat and consume the antelope. That's how they live. The Bible says the enemy goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and that's how he does it. And if you don't think he's real, the more the better. He likes that. If you, if he doesn't th- if you don't think you're in the spiritual battle and all these things that are going in your mind are just you, he's happy with that. He would prefer that. And he is seeking to devour you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to, he wants to cause sickness, suffering, and death. But many people who are Christians, even if they acknowledge that the enemy and there's forces against them, they don't understand that they're in a battle and there is an adversary. And it is fascinating to me how he will get Christians to think it's somebody else. You see, in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Multiple layers. There's Christians out there that think that if we just change the, whatever party is in power in America, that'll fix it. They think that, oh, if we just get prayer back in schools, that'll fix everything. Oh, if we just have this. No, no, no there is no Illuminati. There is no secret society. It is the enemy, Satan, orchestrating people against themselves. And the enemy just wants us thinking it's something else. Oh, it's that party. Oh, it's those people. Oh, it's this denomination. Oh, it's this cult. No, it's, it's the enemy. And notice the layers, principalities, power, the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And again, where are they fighting? Where are they trying to establish strongholds? Right here. Right here, cause chaos. Anything to distract. Satan fell because in Isaiah he said, I will be like the Most High. He wants to usurp God's throne. God, the enemy, Satan, is not the opposite of God. He's not the black to the white. He's not the yin to the yang. He's a created being who's in rebellion. God is all-powerful. He is in all places at all times. The enemy is not, but he is an incredibly powerful spiritual being. And God is using him for his purposes. I don't know how, I don't know why, but he is God. Let's come back to the text. What does it say? It says, for though we walk in the flesh, yes, we live in the flesh and blood, that we do not war 
according to the flesh. We are in a war, and it's not through flesh and blood. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And so we need these new tools, and they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And so we've got to destroy some strongholds. How can you defend the city if you don't have any soldiers on the ramparts? How, how can you defend the city if you don't even know you're surrounded, and much less you leave the gates open? You don't even lock the gates. You're just sleeping. Nobody's on guard. Nobody's watching. Many Christians live their lives this way, and then they wonder why the enemy has overcome their mind. Living for their sensuality, living for their flesh, not fo- focusing on the things of the Lord, but the things of the world. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And if the enemy makes you think that there's nothing spiritual about it, he's happy with that. I mean, have you ever been there in your mind? Guilt, overcome with guilt, overcome with shame. Many of you struggle with anxiety or fear or nervousness or maybe just wasting your days, lethargic, just one day after another, just feeding your flesh. Man, I should have done something yesterday. I should have gone after my goals. I I should have made something happen. Maybe depression. Many people struggle with depression, just feeling like you're just not worth it. You shouldn't even just not exist. You feel like nothing, like there's no purpose for anything. And then after that comes the doubts. Well, God must not be real. The Bible must not be real. All this stuff is just make-believe. All of us come to these places, and many of those, those are a stronghold. On one of those words, the alarm went off, yep, that's the one, and you go straight to it. It's the enemy's stronghold. And he's encamped in the battlefield in the six inches between your ears. But the Lord has overcome. The Lord wants us to be victorious. He wants us to understand there's a spiritual war. He has overcome everything. Remember, we come to God, and Jesus is all powerful in the throne room of God. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Everything that exists, exists because He wills it to exist. He is not weak against the enemy. We are giving the keys to the enemy. We're not doing our part. In fact, in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Notice it says, it will be given. It will be given. Go to God. If you lack wisdom, if you don't understand what's going on, Lord, I'm just overcome. Lord, the enemy, I just, I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I'm afraid. I have depression. I have anxiety. I have doubts. All these things, Lord. The Lord's saying, oh, you're in a spiritual battle. You're not picking up any spiritual weapons. Come and ask. I got something for you. There's a big battle in the Ukraine right now, huge war. And the Ukrainians, what do they ask for? Pea shooters? Slingshots? It's kind of, a, kind of annoying, but it's also true. They're asking for the biggest, baddest weapons they could possibly have to fight off the Russians who are invading their country. And spiritually, we don't even ask. And the Lord says, if you lack it, I'll give it to you. If you lack it, I'll give it to you. And many of us, we just don't want to ask. We don't want to ask in faith. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
Here's the caveat. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven, tossed, and tossed by the wind. Verse 7 and 8, scary. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Is that you? Is that you, man or woman, Christian, that is here? We have strongholds to defeat in our mind, and you're not even asking for the weapons to win? You're not even acknowledging that there's a battle? You're just giving it to the enemy. I don't need any weapons. The, the enemy's not even real. This is just all me. Here's the keys. Here's the keys. Leave the gates open. Don't even put up walls. Don't even fight. And then the enemy's going for the jugular, the spiritual jugular. He's trying to destroy you. But greater is he that is in you that is in the world. We have victory in Jesus Christ. We have spent now, verses 3 and 4, acknowledging who the enemy is, how the enemy works, how he's encamped, knowing that we have a spiritual war, and knowing that this battle is taking place in each and every one of our brains. And another lie that the enemy tells you, no, you are not the only one. This is normal. As a Christian, this is what we do. Now, let's get to the good stuff. What do we do about it? Are we just going to live this way and keep living in anxiety and fear and depression and doubts? No way. No way. Let's read verses 5 and 6. It says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In verse 6, And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. All right, let's do the same thing. Let's dissect this section. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So the enemy wants to destroy. He wants to keep you from the knowledge of God. Anything that exalts itself over it. And we are called to cast down those arguments. So who's arguing? See, we have our own Judas Iscariot inside of us, the flesh. And so oftentimes we're on both sides of the argument. You know what, you're t what I'm talking about. When you're resisting that temptation and you're, and you're on both sides, you're the prosecutor and the defense attorney, arguing, but we're to cast it down. Cast it down means to throw it down. It means to destroy it. How do you do that? By bringing every thought into captivity. Every thought into captivity. That means to take the enemy and bind him and stop it. And you just let your thoughts just go rampant in your brain. You just let the enemy go through your town, go through your mind, build up a stronghold in the middle of your mind, and then you go back to that stronghold, well, there's nothing I can do about it. No, we're going to talk about what to do about it. And then one of my personal favorite parts of the scripture, it says, and being ready to punish all disobedience of those thoughts. Those thoughts are going to rebel against you. Ephesians 6, the fiery darts of the wicked one, those thoughts that come, we're in a battle. Stop giving the enemy quarter. It's time to do something about it. How, Mike? How do you keep these thoughts captive? How, how do I stop him from just taking control? And how do I get on the right side so that I'm not against myself? Well, we know that we're to keep every thought captive and that we're overcomers through Jesus Christ. Remember the very first verse, I myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, that power in control. We need new weapons, first and foremost. We're trying to fight a battle, 
And it's like a Civil War soldier trying to fight against a nuclear submarine. He doesn't know it exists. He doesn't see it. He doesn't know how powerful it is. You have to call in spiritual weapons. First and foremost, call on the Lord. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And he who is over, who, has, who is he who has overcome the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we need to call on the Lord. We need to realize that we have the Spirit of God. We cannot be defeated. We can be overrun. We can give up ground, but we cannot be destroyed. Because in 1 John 4, 4, it says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we want to lean on Jesus. We want to, we want to hold those, captives, those thoughts captive. We want to take them prisoner and say, You don't have control anymore. If it's in this six-inch space, it belongs to Jesus. And we need to start analyzing those thoughts. And it's weird how it works. And when you go into that temptation... Or you go into that battle, and then in here, you're just you're Judas and you're this, this mighty one to fight the, the enemies of the Lord at the same time. And it's so hard to see who's who and what's what. You need Jesus. We need to grow on Him and lean on Him. How was that stronghold taken in 70 AD? Remember, the first thing the Romans did, they isolated it. Nope, this ground right here, I don't, you're not having any more. Second, they started to starve it to weaken it. Many of these temptations you deal with is because you focus on the temptation itself or you focus on the anxiety or the fear. Let's just take that mental item, whatever it is that the enemy stronghold is, and all you do is look at the stronghold and talk about all the reasons you can't take the stronghold. Well, number one, stop giving it provision. Provision means equipment, the beans and bullets. Stop giving it to the enemy. Stop spending time on it. Start spending time strengthening the spiritual. When it says, hold your thoughts captive, I'm a little meaner in my own, my own personal walk. I don't take prisoners. No prisoners. I take it out back and I shoot it. I don't want to even spend time thinking about it. I don't want to isolate it. I don't want to spend time on it. First thing I do is I start realizing whatever the temptation is, what is it doing to me? You see, if I fall... The fellowship hurts, my marriage is destroyed, my ministry is destroyed, my kids are ruined. I'm not taking any prisoners, I'm not playing any games. So we make no provision for the flesh. What do you mean? Oh, that's pretty weak that you have blocks on all of your devices and your computers and your tablets. I don't take prisoners. I know what's at stake. I keep the doors locked. It's kind of hard for the enemy to go through the gate if you get rid of the gate and you just brick that thing up. No one's coming in. Oh, that's pretty old-fashioned that you won't be alone with a, a woman that's not your wife. Good. I don't care what you call me. I'm not giving the enemy any ground. No prisoners. Nothing. And all of the thoughts against you are usually lies anyway. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now. She's not flirting with you. She doesn't like you. It's in your brain. Guys, uh, gals, it's the same thing for you. He's not into you. You're making it up. Enemy is giving you a fiery dart, and he's just letting it smolder there, and you start feeding it. It could be a fear, an anxiety over something. The enemy puts 
the worst possible scenario in your mind, and that's all you can think about. And how many times did it actually happen? It doesn't exist outside of, these, of this battle space here. Take it out back. Stop it. Well, how do you do that, Mike? How do you do it? You keep talking about the what, how. Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that if you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and here it is, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, we don't do it so much in America anymore, but what did we used to do with traitors? No more. They're gone. If you have in your own mind a Judas Iscariot who's betraying you, you need to cast it off in the name of Jesus Christ spiritually and put on Christ. You need to put him on. And you keep wondering, why is it that I can't do that? Why is it that I have this battle? Why is it that I have all these doubts? What are you putting in here? What are you putting in the battle space? You spend five minutes in the Word of God and five hours Netflix binging on some garbage television show, and you wonder why you're losing. You spend 15 minutes in prayer a week, and how many hours you spend on TikTok or YouTube or some video or some talking head, if it's on a screen, y'all, if it's on a screen, it's lying to you. If it's on a screen, it is lying to you. If it's not in the pages of Scripture, it is fake. They're making it up. They're making it up in your benefit. That's not what it's being made for. And so we need to remember Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace, the God of what peace, will be with you. It's amazing to me how many times we can be in a pastoral counseling and the person talks about um, just fears or anxiety or um, spiritual things or demonic things. And it's like, okay, well, you know, you know my basic questions. How's your reading? How's your prayer? How's your fellowship? Oh, you, you, were, you were at a horror show convention. Oh, oh that's fascinating. Oh, oh you, you listen to death metal nonstop to put you to sleep, do you? Oh, okay, fascinating. I mean, I know we can do all things through Christ. I know that you can, you're not under the power of any. I know you can, you're liber- you can um, have the grace of God, but um, do you think that maybe, spitballing here, that's the reason you keep seeing demons in your dreams? Starve out the enemy. Starve out the anxieties. Starve out the nervousness, the depression, and put in there positive, encouraging, the Word of God, sermons, memorizing Scripture. The reason why I'm able to shoot out a bunch of Scriptures randomly is because of all the spiritual sword fighting. I've been overcome. I have been beaten back. I have been through uh, traumas and all kinds of stuff. And I remember taking out five by eight cards or three, what are the three by five cards, index cards with scriptures on them, just recording because I just wanted to think about something else. Because if I thought about that temptation or that fear, 
I was going to fail. So I stuck to the Word of God. And you, it's amazing. The more time you spend in the mind of God and the Word of God, the more He washes you in the Word of God. And when He washes you, He cleanses you from all that darkness. Kind of like it says in Ephesians chapter 5, you know, husbands should be reading their, the Bible to their wives, washing them in the Word of God. Yes, we can transform and renew our mind, cast the enemy out, starve him, fight him, attack him, be vigilant, be sober, because remember, like that creeping lion, he's just waiting for you in the weakest moment. If you're the head of a household here, husbands, if you're spiritually strong, he's not going to come after you. Who's he coming after? Your wife and your kids. He doesn't go after the strongest brick in the wall. He finds the weakest brick, and he kicks it repeatedly until he can break it. And so you need to be watchful, encouraging, strengthening. I got rules in my house that other people are think are for pilgrims or Puritans. Well, they say, well, this is a modern world. You know, you should be able to let them do this. You know, that's a little, no, no, no. No quarter. Because the enemy does not care about my kids. He wants to destroy them. And you'll use their own flesh and desires after them because they're just like me. Filthy sinners. Just like me. No, renew our mind. And we do that by dedicating it to the Lord. That's what it says in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Many people know this verse. But it's verse 2 that is the how, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. To be transformed, you need to be transforming. By how? By the renewing of your mind. This is where the battle is, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's enabled us. He's given us the tools. He's given us the weapons. We can't use these weapons in and of ourselves. They're not carnal. Yes, we live in a carnal world, and we need Him to discern for us the spiritual things. Because remember, we don't even have the faculties to see the spiritual battle. You know, the, the enemies of this world, you, you wouldn't even think that even in a carnal thing, you know, the United States military goes out there, you get some sergeant out there, some E-5, he's out in the mountains, he's got his tablet, he's got his radio, he starts tapping on the thing, he starts poking at it, and you think, what did you do? Oh, you'll, you'll see. And it doesn't look like anything happened. You can't visibly see that data has just been sent to an AWACS, which has been sent to a satellite, which has been sent to Washington, D.C., and then another code is given. And now off of a ship, a cruise missile is being launched, and some of the enemies of freedom are about to be evaporated. But if you're just looking at it, you'd be like, what did he do? Nothing. He just poked a thing in the thing. It's not real. Well, the same thing is true spiritually. With the forces of darkness will be destroyed by our heavenly Father who is in control of all things and will give you victory in your mind on things that you don't see. Our enemies know. The physical enemies of America know, and so do the demons. They tremble at the name of Jesus Christ. They tremble. We can have victory in the mind by renewing it. Cast out the old. Cast out the enemy. Don't give him any place. Cleanse it. Stop letting that roaring lion have free will in your area. This is your space. And you can cast it out in the name of Jesus. Starve out those trials, those temptations. Stop providing the enemy the intel and the uh, bullets 
to attack you with those fiery darts. Because in the name of Jesus Christ, we have overcome the world. On Calvary, Christ, he had victory over sin, death, and the devil. And he said, it is finished. It's time for us now to walk in it. Because the more that the enemy has you laying on your bed, freaking out, the less you are out in the world preaching the gospel. The less you are out encouraging your brother and your sister in the faith. The less we are being used in the battle. Because he's just trying to cause as much chaos as he can before he's cast into the pit of fire, the pit of hell. We are overcomers in Christ. We are victorious in him. And it's time to start taking back the ground, the most important ground, your mind. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we pray that you would encourage us and give us victory. Help us to see the wiles of the enemy. Help us to be vigilant. Help us to strengthen ourselves and our families and those around us so that we can be used by you. And we just want to crucify the old man, Lord. That those areas where we betray you, you know us, and yet you love us. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy, and we pray that you continue to teach us and use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you need prayer coming up, we'd love to pray with you, with people here that can uh, share with. God bless you, and have a wonderful week.